This is the Portland Real Estate Podcast, your number one place for anything you need to know about the Portland real estate market, along with in-depth interviews from our local real estate industry experts. Now, without further ado, here are our hosts, Tucker Merrihew from TTM Development Company and Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. All right, everybody out there in listen land, welcome to the Portland Real Estate Podcast. This is episode nine. I'm your host, Tucker Merrihew. I'm here with our co-host, Steve Nassar from Premier Property Group. What is going on, Steve? Hey, Tucker. Not a whole lot. It's another beautiful, sort of sunny Friday here. Excited to be back on the show. Yeah, it is Friday, which I always love. I'm sure you do too. And it's supposed to be a sunny weekend, so can't complain about that. But to kind of switch things up this week, normally we kind of give you guys a little snapshot of what's going on with our respective businesses at the beginning of the show. And not that I don't want to talk about myself, but we've had a real big headline this week as far as something that's trying to get pushed through real estate related by our uh, current mayor. And so I thought it would be good to kind of bring this up. We'll talk about that, kind of my perspective, Steve's perspective, and then we'll jump into the kind of our market action take because the new market action report was out into this last week too. So I want to talk about that as well. So how about we get into the headline, Steve, and then we'll jump into market action. Sound good to you? Sounds great. So to kind of start it off, the headline is our mayor, Charlie Hale, he is trying to impose a $25,000 teardown tax on home builders, redevelopment type businesses, anybody that's buying homes, tearing them down and building new homes in their place. And so this is kind of a, it's not kind of a big deal. It's a huge deal. And so for me, you know, being in the home building business, being a business owner in the city of Portland for the last 10 years and being intimately involved in everything, you know, from touring older homes to figuring out whether homes should be knocked down or whether it should be renovated. I've got a lot to say on this issue, but before I do, maybe Steve, what have you read? Maybe kind of bring our listeners up to speed on what he's trying to do in detail. Yeah. yeah, so I just read about this here a couple of days ago on one of my regular online real estate news sites. I think it was the Oregonian, actually, possibly KGW. There's been a couple news reports out about it. But from what I am gathering, he is proposing, and I don't know the likelihood that this is going to go through. I can't really speak to that. I don't know the legislative process or how that all goes down. But he's proposing, at the very least, that there be a teardown tax of some sort. So if a uh, developer such as yourself, builder, developer, finds a house within the city limits of Portland or Multnomah County, one of the two, that they want to tear down and it's deemed that it's not inhabitable, meaning it's not a house that has to be completely torn down to do something with it. It could function as it exists. Then a tax of $25,000 will be charged to that builder for that process. So, I mean, any rehabber, any flipper, any developer that finds a great lot but sees the potential to improve the structure dramatically by tearing it down is going to have to build in $25,000 into their costs against their profits for that transaction. Sorry to cut you off, but it was 25 bucks per year the house has existed on top of the 25 grand. That is correct. I did read that. Yep. So the older the house, the more it goes. So conceivably, you know, a 100-year-old house is going to have another 2500 bucks there. So 27,500. So, I mean, at a glance, first of all, that's going to just dramatically slow down those teardown projects, which 
I mean, let's be real. In the city of Portland, there's not a lot of blank lots. So this is an avenue that developers such as yourself see and use constantly. That's going to really slow that down. And I just, I don't see that as being a good thing for these neighborhoods where these nice houses are going in and helping the values around them. I think the intention of this beyond getting money for the city and county is to preserve older homes. And and I get some of that, but at the same time, I think this is going to be bad for Portland real estate and for you know the rebirth of wonderful neighborhoods that have aging properties. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I've got actually some statistics here and then I'll get into you know some of my bigger objections. But last year, there were 181 homes tore down in the city of Portland, which is one half of 1% of the housing stock in Portland, which is far from the epidemic that a lot of the headlines have read or that people have pushed. And so they're proposing that with this tax, they project that only 100 homes will be tore down next year if it goes into effect, which is virtually half, right? And from that, they're hoping to generate $2.5 million in new fund money, new fund money. But by doing that, they're losing out on almost 100 homes that would have been built. And of those 100 homes, a good chunk of them will have to get a new building permit because it'll probably be a lot split. And a building permit in the city of Portland is over 40 grand for a vacant lot. So that alone will prevent any sort of affordable housing to ever be built in the city of Portland unless it's been subsidized by the city. So they're going to lose out on a massive amount of revenue from that, plus the building permit from tearing down an old home and building a new one, which is somewhere between eight and ten grand. And then you have the ongoing increased property taxes that you get from both new homes. So the amount of money that they gain from this tax is actually going to be a net loss in millions and millions of dollars. Which, what's that going to do, Steve, in the long run, right? You've got a new fund, so you've got new people that can siphon money out and they can use it for this or that. But even if they had all $2.5 million, let's say all the money goes to what it's intended for, how much difference is $2.5 million going to make over the entire city of Portland for affordable housing? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. nothing. It's going to do nothing. So that's one of my bigger issues with it. But the other thing is, is that it's going to dramatically increase the revenue that they're getting from the building department now. And... The government doesn't have like tons of extra money. If they get it, they spend it, right? So what happens when the department quits bringing in nearly as much money as they used to? Now you got two things. Either A, you cut the department, which governments hate to do, or two, you raise the cost of permits even more, which then what, Steve? What does that do to the home price when the builder's done with it? Makes it go up higher. Yeah. Yeah. Either that or it pushes down the value of the lots that people can sell to builders. So at the end of the day, who are you helping? That's the question that I have to the mayor. And I get what he's trying to do. I understand it because there are some developers out there that are taking, you know, 7,500 square foot lots and they're splitting them into two and they're building two substandard sized lots out. I get that. But if you want to fight that, just change the zoning laws for those types of properties. And that will stop that. You don't have to put in such a ridiculous thing, which is, and what I read is they want to prevent tearing down early 1900 bungalows because they feel like that represents Portland. Well, I can tell you, I've toured hundreds and hundreds of those bungalows over the years looking to see whether they should be rehabbed or built new. And those homes have a lot of things in common. Number one is they usually have radon. Number two is they have asbestos. Number three is the floor plans are up. You can bleep that. (laughs) And lastly, they usually have one bath. So who buy? Oh, and by the way, most of those foundations are old, crumbly Portland foundations. They're barely standing. And if you pick at them with your finger, they crumble. But somebody would go into a home like that that doesn't know anything about real estate, which would likely be whoever's appointed by the government, 
to determine whether or not the home qualifies for the tax or not. And they would say, yes, it's livable. Yeah, you could live in there. Of course you could. But does it make sense for today's home buyer, for today's family to live in a home like that? I get the cute nostalgia from the curb, but I, I just think this has so much more harm than good than it causes. And I think that there's a much better way to do it, which is change your zoning, you know, on these types of lots where people are worried about, you know, homes being torn down and two houses built. You can't stop it entirely, but there's a number of lots that are about 7,500 square feet and they're able to get a variance or because of, you know, the way the lots were platted, they can do a lot line adjustment and build two homes. Just change that. And that solves a lot of your problems. So it just really infuriates me. The other thing I want to mention is that if this is a flat fee across all markets, how in the world is anybody going to build lower-end new construction in the city of Portland? You already have $40,000 new building permits for a vacant lot. Now you add a $25,000 teardown fee. I mean, those areas that are starting to grow, like Foster Powell down south of Woodstock, it's going to stifle all new construction activity in those areas because it doesn't make sense. It, you cannot make it pencil. Which is going to affect all home prices. Immediately, all home prices are going to jump because any new house has now a new $25,000 bump up in price. And even if they can't build that new house, it's going to affect the ones that otherwise would have been competing with the new ones. So, I mean, it's going to affect home prices in a negative way. Yeah, it's, it's just a horrible thing. And, and here's the thing that nobody wants to say. And I can say this because I have dealt with the people that have made this an issue for Charlie Hale to push through his time as our mayor. He lives in the East Moreland neighborhood, which we've done a lot of projects in there. I was frivolously sued in there last year for tons of money. And so I can say that I've got a pretty good feel for what's going on there. That is pretty much the epicenter of do not knock anything down. And I understand it. I understand the neighborhood, the nostalgia. We've done four major projects in there, all of which we didn't knock down. We renovated because that's what the neighborhood wanted to see. So we were actually appeasing the neighborhood. Didn't help us. We still got frivolously sued because there's so many people in there that just hate development. But the thing that's going on there is that there's so many people that just hate any form of knockdown. They also happen to have deep pockets in Eastmoreland. There's a lot of professionals with a lot of deep pockets. If you haven't noticed, they bought a few houses back from developers over the years. They were able to raise hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars to overpay for properties so that they don't get tore down. They almost raised 900 grand to buy a lot with two sequoia trees that are currently in the news. So there's a lot of money to be raised in Eastmoreland. And next year happens to be an election year, Steve. And I think there's a new guy that's trying to joust for mayor of the city of Portland. So... You know, nobody wants to say it, but this is what I'm calling the East Moreland tax that's trying to get ramrodded through. And by pushing it through, hopefully Charlie Hale can help fund a lot of his campaign moving into next year and he can remain our mayor. So nobody's going to say it, but that's exactly what's going on here. Hey, Tucker, question for you. Assuming this goes through, how would that be impacted? Say you leave a wall up. You know, there's I've heard of a lot of builders, developers talking about advantages when they're doing a major remodel, quote unquote by leaving a wall up or something of the previous structure so that rather than it being perceived as new construction, a tear down new construction, they now can run it through as a remodel. Do you think that would be possible in this situation? So we've done both. We did that prior to getting into the world of new construction, mainly because we just hadn't crossed that bridge yet. And at the end of the day, it maybe saves you two to $3,000 in permit costs. But what you get in return is a massive amount of headaches as far as retrofitting everything and then having to do a complete rebuild on an old footprint, it's not worth the headache that you get 
for the savings that you get by trying to do that. And so would that change with this? Would that change? Yeah. Well, it would force a lot of people into having to do that. But it's a very difficult way to improve our housing stock. Now, people will do it to some extent, but you know, home builders, a lot of them aren't set up to do major remodels. They're set up in a conveyor belt system. They have certain subs. It requires a lot more management. It requires a lot more in-between labor to do those types of projects. And so I just don't see home builders getting into that arena because right now there's a big divide between home rehabbers and home builders. If you're a home builder, generally you don't rehab. And if you rehab, you don't home build. We're one of those few companies that do both. But the reason being is because it requires more manpower, more overhead, more management to do rehabs than it does new construction. In new construction, you have sub for everything. It's very conveyor belt-like. If you do a big remodel, it's just very management intensive. It's very retrofitting everything. And there's always a curveball every single day. And it's just, it's a difficult, difficult way to do this business. Now, we've done it in East Moreland over and over and over again because that's what the neighborhood wanted to see. And we felt the houses we were buying, they did have that great character that we could bring back to life. But it's a very difficult way to improve the housing stock. Another thing about that, just in general, Portland, Multnomah County, they don't have the best reputation for keeping costs down. I mean, just from a tax standpoint, I'm one of those fortunate people, jokingly, that lives in Multnomah County, even though I live in Lake Oswego. I'm right on the county line. If you go two houses down the street from me, they're in Clackamas County. And the difference in our taxes is probably, I haven't looked it up recently, but it's probably 25-30%. I know I deal with this all the time when we're working with people that are looking in Lake Oswego or various areas. A lot of times people just say, hey, in my search, cancel out anything in Multnomah County because the difference in taxes between Multnomah County and Clackamas is just egregious. It's crazy. Yeah. And that goes back to my point about for all these new homes that now won't be in place, they won't be on the ongoing property tax roll in Multnomah County, which a new construction home is going to come with it some hefty annual property taxes, which is ongoing revenue for the city. So the whole idea of, look, we're creating this new money by putting this tax into place it's just a bunch of horse shit. And I hopefully people can see through it and it'll get enough opposition that it won't pass. But the other thing that really just kills me is that they're pushing this as a tax and not a fee so that they don't get hung up in litigation by the Home Builders Association and, and other builders that may lobby together to try and fight it. So it's just a really scandalous way to try and push an agenda that really is not an intelligent agenda that's going to cause way more harm than good. And it's just scary to see that something like this could actually go through. So I'm hoping that it doesn't. Hopefully we enlighten our listeners to a couple different perspectives on it. But yeah, it's not a good thing in my opinion. So I think I'll hop off my soapbox here and we'll transition. But we did get the new market action report out last week and I've been able to review it. I'm sure you have too. Why don't you maybe give us a quick rundown of what you saw on there? Yes. So August, it wasn't as good as our July. And we know that for the simple reason that July was the best July ever August is not the best August ever. So we pulled back a little bit from that. And you and I had talked about that. And we kind of were projecting that was going to be the case. Now, that's not to say that it was a bad August by any stretch of the imagination. And it's much, much better than 2014. And I think the only August in recent history that was better was 2005 is what the report itself said. Numbers were pretty solid, even though they a couple things did show some signs of cooling. One thing that was kind of interesting, we did go up to 1.9 months of inventory. We had previously been slightly lower. I think in June we got to the lowest was 1.6, and in July 1.7, now we're up to 1.9. One thing that was interesting about that that I couldn't quite understand is we went down a number of days on the market. In July, we were 45 days on the market. 
In August, we went down to 41 days, yet our inventory, months in inventory went up. So that just kind of is a little bit of a contradiction, but it is what the data is saying. That is interesting. You know, that's kind of like we were talking about last month. There's a little bit of contradictory data in there. But, you know, bottom line is inventory did creep up a little bit. Like we mentioned, I thought June would be our inflection point, and it seems to be running that way. What have you been seeing in terms of all your listings? Has the showing volume been pretty steady? Has it been going down at all? What have you noticed as school started and things are changing over here? It's It's been quieter. It's been quieter. I mean, we've gone through that lull period of Labor Day. Even though school started before Labor Day this year in many school districts, there were others that didn't. And even if school did start before Labor Day, that doesn't mean the distraction of it starting and being new hasn't carried over a, a week or two past that. So I think we're going to pull out of that here in the coming couple weeks. And I think that normalcy of school being in session and the huge focus that that takes off of people's home search will kind of subside and we'll get back into the groove of things. And I think we'll see a wave of people come back into the market. But I think it's hard to gauge the overall market the past week, even two three weeks potentially because of that lull. Yeah, I agree. And I think last year we had a similar lull kind of about that point. But, you know, going back to school and Labor Day weekend, I mean, that's a pretty major events for most households. And it kind of puts the freeze on buying and selling of homes, at least a little bit. And I think that as we move forward, I'm kind of guessing that, you know, we'll probably see inventory trickle up into the low twos maybe. And it may sit there for a couple of months is my guess moving forward. But, you know, it's still super low inventory wise. You know, I know we had a property that was kind of in that battle axe price point that went on the market here a couple of weeks ago in my office. And it was like six offers and like 80 phone calls. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was still pretty ridiculous. And we've got another one in uh, Southeast that we're going to be putting on the market next week that's in that entry level price point for close in Southeast Portland. So, you know, that one will probably still blow it up. But it's kind of the way it goes. You know, we head into fall and things do slow down. People do, you know, less people generally put their homes on the market and less people are generally shopping for homes. But I don't know, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Now, in terms of a couple of headlines that may affect our market, I know you had one that you saw or that you want to talk about in regards to the orange line going into Milwaukee here. Yeah, so that has officially opened up. Now, if you live in Milwaukee or along the route from Milwaukee up into downtown Portland, you now have a way to get from home. They're saying about 27 minutes from Milwaukee, the furthest south station. You can get to downtown Portland in 27 minutes. A couple things that are interesting to me about that. First of all, if that's 27 minutes today, that's also going to be 27 minutes five years from now, regardless of what happens to traffic, because this is a transportation system that is going to not be impacted by Portland's traffic issues. It's very reliable. So we are seeing and hearing, and there's been some press about this, a new revival, a new interest in the city of Milwaukee. And, and that doesn't surprise me for the least, Tucker. I'll tell you, Milwaukee's an interesting place. My wife's parents live on the river right there, just north of Lake Oswego. And so sometimes I'll be, I'll be over by their place, and I'll just look across the river there, and I'll be like, man, it feels like it's a different country over there. It does, doesn't when, it? <laughs> when re, re, in reality, it's 200 feet away. Yeah. Um, and so I've always thought to myself, and then I'll drive through Milwaukee, and granted, there's some nice areas, and then there's a lot of not-so-nice areas, but you have to think that this is going to create a tremendous opportunity for a revival and a rebirth of that area, because it really is, for all intents and purposes, 
it's a very similar location to Lake Oswego. You've got the proximity to Portland that Lake Oswego has. You've got the river access. You've got all the boating docks. You've got all those wonderful potential amenities that Lake Oswego has just on the other side. And now you have a way to get downtown in a very reliable fashion on this new orange line. So one thing I'm seeing and hearing is that if you're within walking distance of the orange line stations, which maybe that arguably is about a mile, obviously the closer you get to them, the better, then we're starting to see a newer interest in those properties. We're starting to see a little bit more activity on them. And again, this doesn't just affect Milwaukee. You and I talked about the Brooklyn neighborhood. It affects Selwood, which Selwood's always done pretty good. And Selwood's going to benefit tremendously here in the next year when that bridge finishes up and they've got four lanes going across there. Yeah, for um, sure. So that's something that's very interesting to me. And I think we're going to see a lot of amenities going into Milwaukee. There was talk that they've had a farmer's market for a while. So they're starting to do some cool things. And you can still buy houses at 300000 in Milwaukee. Which yeah, it's very crazy. affordable there, I yeah. mean, comparatively speaking. And, you know, here's a thought that might blow your mind a little bit. But what if someday there was a bridge from Milwaukee to Lake Oswego? How much would that change that dynamic, huh? <laughs> I don't know that that would ever happen. Oh, I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon. I don't, but. I, um, I've joked about that. I've often thought about that. I was like, man, what if like right there where A Street kind of comes to that T, what if there was just a bridge that went across there? And I don't know how those rules work. I don't know if Lake Oswego has a vote in that because I'm guessing the powers that be in Lake Oswego kind of like yeah, not having like being that. an island of their own. That, it been, would be a really interesting dynamic. First of all, the values in Milwaukee would probably instantaneously go up by, gosh, 20%, 30%. Yeah, it, they could suddenly drive across a bridge and be in downtown Lake Oswego. But I, I don't know that that's ever going to happen. Yeah, I, I don't think it is. But on a more real note, I will say another headline that came out is that Lake Oswego schools were found to be, by study, I forget the name of the uh, company that did it, but number one school district in the nation came out today or yesterday. So... You know, that's something that I've obviously known. They've had great schools for a long time. That's why we do a lot of our projects there. And, you know, having great schools is, you know, one of the major underlying strong factors in why families that can want to buy there because you don't necessarily have to send your kid to private school if you don't want to. And private school ain't cheap. So, you know, it's nice to see that that came out. And, you know, I didn't think they might be number one, but hey, they were. And I've always known they've been very, very good. But hey, number one, we'll take it, right? Yeah, and I've got three kids in the Lake Oswego school system. Two of them go to Forest Hills, and one is now in Lake Oswego Junior High. And so I see that firsthand. It is a wonderful school system. They really do have all the pieces in place and just a great attention to the process. Yeah, and I don't know if you've ever looked into what it actually costs to pay for tuition at a private high school around here these days, but it's pretty insane, man. So, you know, you think about it in terms of a family, you know, wanting to get the best education they can for their children. If they don't live in Lake Oswego and they don't like the school district they're in, it gets pretty expensive to send your kids to private school. It gets really expensive. But if you live in Lake Oswego, now all of a sudden, you know, maybe a little bit higher mortgage payment is a lot less, you know, what your payment would be elsewhere, plus all of the uh, tuition money. Yeah, good point. So that was definitely good to see. Kind of just to wrap up and piggyback off of your headline I know we're bouncing around a little bit, but I do think that the Brooklyn neighborhood, I'm kind of making a call here. I think that that's the next pocket that is really going to start improving dramatically. The prices are just so low compared to everything else around it. We've got a project that we're going to start there here in the next month, and I just don't see how that's not the next really hot pocket there in close and southeast. Yeah. You know, Selwood has always been one of my favorite areas, and you talked about East Moreland. Gosh, I love that neighborhood. I play golf there at 
at Eastmoreland, and I love just looking at the houses and the historic structures there around it. And and one thing I love about those neighborhoods is the mature landscaping and the mature trees. That's just something you can't buy. Totally agree. And that's I know that I went on a rant earlier, but it does have a very nice nostalgia. And, and the projects we have done there, you know, we've done everything in our power to make them fit in as best as possible into that neighborhood because it does have that feel. It's almost like a Never Never Land kind of feel. You know, it's like fairies and things like that. And it is really cool. But I played golf there not too long ago myself and didn't shoot that well, but I played golf. (laughs) So, you know, all in all, I think the market's still doing really well. Inventory numbers were up slightly and they may creep up a little more. But, you know, I don't see ourselves having a radical change in, you know, the market over the next month or two. Beyond that, you know, I don't want to project, but I don't know. What do you think? Next couple of months? Well, I think I think once the whole school year starting kind of calms down, which I think is going to happen in the next week or so, I think we might see a nice little push before the holidays to get into a property. Because if you think about it, you know, come October 1st, making an offer on a um, 45-day close puts you in the house just before Thanksgiving. So I think we're going to see a good month or so before the holidays where people are like, okay, we're back in school. Just because school's in session doesn't mean families don't move. But what definitely happens is they don't think about moving those first few weeks as they're going through the process of acclimating to a new school year. Once that kind of subsides, then families do still move during the school year. And I think a lot of them would love to do so before the holidays. So I think we could see a pretty good 30-day run or a little bit longer before we kind of start to see a lull of the, you know, Thanksgiving going into the holiday season. Yeah, personally, I mean, I've done it both ways over the years, but we won't list any of our new projects. If we can't get it on the market by right after Halloween, we hold it until after Christmas and New Year's because it just, it goes crickets out there as you get close to uh, Thanksgiving. And then after Thanksgiving, I mean, forget it. You know, there are people that buy houses, but I think you get punished a little bit on your price because there just are so fewer people that are actually actively shopping during that time period. So we'll see how it shakes out. But yeah, I agree with you. I think we might have a pretty strong market run here for maybe the next 45 days or so. And then, you know, we'll probably hit that holiday slowdown, but we shall see. Yep. So, all right. Well, I think we talked about some good stuff this week. I went on a little bit of a rant. We talked about some good headlines and a lot of market action stuff. So that's going to wrap up this week's show. Steve, thanks for joining me. Yeah. Have a great weekend, Tucker. You too. And we'll be back next week to talk to you guys some more. We'll see you guys then. Thanks again for listening to our show, and make sure to tune in next week for another great episode of the Portland Real Estate Podcast.